Welcome to Walk It Out with Trisha Goyer, where I share inspiring stories of ordinary people who walk out God's Word and discover radical results along the way. You know, for so many years as a parent, I always had to feel like I had my act together. I wanted to appear to be this great parent with these perfect kids. We did all the right things, and uh, yeah, pretty much that didn't work very long. I think with the first three, I was able to kind of put up enough of a facade that people were like, oh great, she's doing a good job with these kids, but once we started adding more kids to our family, Once we started dealing with issues like trauma and anger and just all the ways that that showed up in our home, I didn't know how to handle it anymore. I was completely overwhelmed. I remember at first I tried to explain to people, oh, they just got out of foster care. They just had a failed adoption. And I wanted people to know why my kids were acting out. Um, But the truth is, you know, when you're in Target and you have this child that's acting out, You can't walk around and explain to the 30 people that are there. It just can't happen. Instead, I need to realize, you know what? It doesn't matter. I'm doing my best. I'm training my kids. My kids are doing their best. They can because they don't know how to handle their emotions. And I went to therapy, um, took my kids to therapy and got help for them. And that was really one of the best things. We are blessed here in Little Rock. There's a... a place called uh, the Child Study Center that works on cognitive-based trauma therapy. And those therapists, I would go in there and every week just take notes because they would show me how to work with my kids, how to help my kids, how to guide my kids, how to talk to my kids. And so I am just so grateful for those in the counselors and professional therapists who really want to help and support families that really help both kids and their parents know how to overcome anger, pain, heartache, um, all the things that we face um, that comes from trauma or just comes from everyday life. And today's guest is one of those amazing people that I love so much. Um, Nichelle Neidert is a a licensed counselor and therapist, and she works with families. She supports others who works for families. She writes, she speaks, um, and you are just going to enjoy her so much. I met her at a conference, and right away, we just started talking. It was someone I could really talk to about everything that I learned, everything that we went through with the kids that really understood. And oftentimes I'll say, what do I even connect with her? What do I do about this? And how would you handle this? So she's been there as a support for me. I just know you'll find so much encouragement. And Michelle and I really talk about a lot. Um, A lot of it deals with kids that face trauma, but I know that you will be blessed because there's so much that can apply to any parent or any person if they're dealing with children or others that are facing anger issues. So I pray that you will be blessed by this episode with Michelle. Well, welcome back to Walk It Out. And I'm so glad that I have one of my awesome friends on as we talk about anger 
and the struggles that we have with kids. So Michelle Niedert is an awesome friend of mine that I've known a couple years and just love everything that she does and have gone to her many times saying, is this right? Am I saying this right? As I was working on the book, Michelle, welcome to Walk It Out and just tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks, Tricia. Well, I'm a licensed professional counselor, actually supervisor as well in the Dallas, Texas area. I'm the owner of one of the larger counseling centers that offers faith-based counseling here. And we work with children, adults, and their families and some couples work, which has a lot to do with anger as well. Uh, We have about 17 staff members. I also have a podcast called Counselor Thoughts, where I speak regularly on the topics of mental health. And I also do a lot of professional speaking on some of those topics to parent groups and church parent groups and also women's groups and mops and moms in prayer and things like that. And then occasionally when life demands that I do a little writing. What you need to do more of. (laughs) (laughs) I'm working on that. I really am. I'm working on an action plan for sitting in front of the computer. I kind of have that typical entrepreneurial, like I don't like to sit in a seat syndrome. So well, but you're doing so much awesome stuff already, but the word, the world needs your words out there too. Oh, thanks, Tricia. I love reading yours. So, well, thank you. Well, today I would, I mentioned that I want to talk to you about, um, especially anxiety and how that leads to anger. And I know we also want to talk about sensory issues. And so I'm just going to just open the door and just, um, I know I have kids that get anxious, you know, times of the year or different seasons or different things going on. Just talk to us about maybe what we might not realize when it comes to kids and anxiety. Well, I think the first thing that a lot of adults don't realize is that to us, they seem to have simple lives because we are often managing their lives on top of managing our lives. And so one of the first things I work with adults on is understanding and remembering, like in Texas here, what it's like to be in a building with 3,000 people in a hallway at the same time, all moving in a five-minute passing period. And I tell any adult who says, why would a high school kid have anxiety? I'm like, come stand in our hallway for about five minutes and see if you would like to to do that seven times a day. So some of it is helping adults become aware of the struggles that kids have in the classroom setting. If their kids are smaller, there may be a child in there who really acts out, or there may be a child in there who touches them a lot. Maybe their child doesn't like to be touched. There are just lots of things that go on in their worlds that, and there's a lot of pressure these days. I feel like for children that didn't exist uh, for most adults when they were children, because we lived in an era where kids did activities for fun and they live in an era where kids do activities to exceed and excel to the point that many of their practice lives look not much different than a professional's sports or a musician's life as far as the amount of demand it takes to be competitive in their culture today. So that's the first thing I always try to make adults aware of. The second thing is that anxiety can come from two different aspects of our lives. And one is our thoughts, because I do believe in a cognitive behavioral model. And we practice a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy at our center where thoughts create feelings, which create behaviors. And so one of the things we really have to help kids with is what they're thinking. And a lot of times they don't share that with us unless we ask. And so there's a lot. Now, some of them are very willing to. I have a daughter who I never really wonder what she's thinking. She's pretty verbal and she's pretty explanatory. So in sex, sometimes 
I wish I didn't know what <laughs> she was thinking. <laughs> but but there are many children, especially like I was talking to a young man and his mom today who in my office who was 18 years old. Children don't have a lot of times emotional vocabulary. And especially when it comes to words like fear and scared and anxiety. I mean, you don't hear anyone but a therapist son say, mom, I think my anxiety is really getting better today. That's just not something that the average child even has a cognitive sense of what it is. So the first thing I want parents to understand is some of this is coming from their thoughts, but really emotion is energy in motion. So some kids are naturally born with more energy than others which can lead towards anxiety. And you can see that when you hook a kid up to a biofeedback machine, which we use sometimes in our office. And you can even see it as we hook kids up, like the iPhone, I don't know if everybody knows this, but um, that flashes a heart rate monitor. And you can actually have a kid press there. And we have some breathing apps that we use to help kids begin to learn to breathe and relax. And that's a great anger management strategy, by the way, and anxiety strategy to work on that breathing in and out. We all breathe all the time, but we don't breathe in a way that really helps our brain and bodies always. So understanding that some of this can also be neurochemical. And in that case, we really want to make sure kids are moving enough because we live in a culture where kids don't get PE every day in every school that they're moving enough. And also things like a bath will relax them and things like that. And a lot of our kids are on adrenaline rushes of hurry to school and hurry home and get your homework done so you can hurry to this or hurry to that and then hurry up and get in bed. And this hurry, hurry, hurry methodology that we have just running through our culture can create a lot of energy just banging around in a kid's body and their mind. And so we need a place for kids to be able to have some downtime and a place for kids to release energy. And it's a very big difference between going out and having some fun on the swings and kicking a ball around for fun. And that's a great energy release. When you take those same activities and you add performance demands to it, then you add performance anxiety. And what could be an energy release actually becomes an anxiety creator. And so those are just some things we try to make parents aware of, because when you get a kid who's hyper aroused with too much anxiety, it's going to come out somehow. And sometimes I know I as a parent and I myself as a person don't like it when all that pressure builds up in me and it comes out in a way that's not so pretty. Yeah. And I love how you talked about, you know, different kids, some will tell you exactly what they're feeling, what's going on, and some won't. I have um, one daughter in particular that she, you just tell like she's mad at everyone and, you know, um, she won't respond well to me when I try to talk to her. And, you know, it takes me sitting down with her and saying, what is going on? And usually she can't tell me the first time. It might take a day for her to like trying to figure out. And, you know, it might be she had a bad dream um, about before she was adopted or she had a dream that we sent her back to foster care. I mean, all these things that it's in her mind. These thoughts are there. These emotions are there. And she doesn't know how to process them. And so it ends up coming out in all these ways. So it does take, you know, sometimes sitting down with kids and sometimes they can't just answer you right away. Like this is exactly what's going on. Um, It may be even hard for them to connect the dots on what's really happening inside their mind with those anxieties and those worries. 
Exactly. In fact, a lot of times we struggle with that and kids definitely struggle with that because those circumstances and the thoughts that have come from those don't always hit you right away. And so I do think that's very true. For some kids, it takes some time. And that's why we rarely ask the question. And I try to train parents not to say, why are you feeling that way? (laughs) Because they're going to get an answer of, I don't know a lot because they really don't know. They're not trying to avoid it. They don't know. So a better question sometimes is, what have you been thinking about lately? What what pre- what things do you feel pressure about right now? Um, what do you feel like you have to do or have to be? Some questions like that are better to elicit a better response. You seem awfully grumpy. Why do you think that is? Most kids kind of shrug their shoulders at you. But if you were to say to them, hey, I noticed you're a little grumpy. Did you sleep, sleep well last night? When's the last time you've eaten? Because that's another big thing we look at it in the center. In AA, they call it halt. Because we often get cranky when we're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. And so we want to look at those things. Sometimes my kids honestly just need a snack and they are a lot better after that. Absolutely. Or some time, just time with me to sit down and, you know, cuddle. I have one kid in particular, when I she's having a hard time, I'll just sit and have her sit next to me in just like 15 minutes, you know, of just me watching a cartoon. It's just like the physical touch. She just needs that to like ease herself out of whatever mood she's in. You are so right. And that's where attachment parenting comes in. And some kids thrive on physical touch attachment. And some kids thrive on just our eyes being on them and giving them attention. And some kids, especially kids with sensory issues, and a great simple question, I was talking to someone today about this. They were asking me, how could I tell if I have sensory issues? And there's some very simple questions like, um, does people, when they do people, when they chew, does that noise, do you hear it? And does it annoy you? Because some of us don't even hear that, but a person with a sensory issue will hear sounds that other people don't hear. They also very often will find tags annoying on their clothes and they will want really soft clothes. And so that's something else that you will see with a person who has some sensory issues. And then a lot of them are picky eaters. There are certain textures and smells and tastes that will bother them. And so if you think about it, if somebody just literally poked on you all day and yelled in your ears and, and made a lot of chaos in front of your face, most of us would be after a while going, stop, stop, stop. Well, I try to explain to teachers, especially if they do not have a calm down area in their classroom, those teachers who love all that bright stuff all over their room and they love to move and they love the noise, that's overwhelming for a lot of kids. And by the time they've had a whole day of that, they are ready to come down from school to your home, and they're going to melt down on you. Yeah, I have a, I have a good sensory story. So <laughs> um, and I, I talk about it in common angry kids. But my husband and I thought it would be a great idea to celebrate our girls adoption. We had four girls that we adopted um, when they were older by going to Disney World. <laughs> so here we are, we have our, uh, we had eight kids with us, maybe nine, I think we had nine kids with us. And we go to Disney World, you know, We've been saving up money. You know how expensive it is. We go yeah. and within <laughs> 10 minutes in the door, they're fighting. They're angry. They're mad. They're like, 
can we just go back to the hotel pool? And we're like, are you joking? <laughs> like, it just cost us $2,000 just to walk through the gate today. And they were so, you know, we were trying to rush because, you know, John and I are thinking we need to get as much out of this. We're rushing from ride to ride. And it was just getting worse and worse. And finally, John's like, we just need to sit down and get them something to eat and let them have some quiet time. So probably for an hour, we sat behind this little cafe without any noise, without any sound, without anything. And they fed the pigeons. <laughs> and after an hour, they were ready to go up, but we took it much slower. And it just made me realize, you know, me as a kid, I, I wanted to go to every ride, see everything, get as much in. But it was just complete sensory overload <laughs> for our children. Um, and once we slowed down and gave them space and didn't um, you know, force them and, you know, we got to have this wonderful day. We spent so much money. Then they were able to kind of enjoy it. But yeah, that was really a lesson for us. You know what? That's so funny because I went to Disney World at three years old with my daughter, who is wired a lot like me, and we just had the most amazing time. We conquered Disney yeah. World, I would tell people at three. But my son, when we took him at three, who is like his father and has some sensory issues, he was ready to go by noon. And I'm like, oh my gosh, we can't leave and go to the hotel. How much money? And and his father's just rolling his eyes at me like, is this for the kids? Who is this for? And when he got really distraught, and this is common too, sensory kids will also sensory seek. So he started rubbing his face in my stomach and it is so hot at Disney World. So I am just like, get, I mean, he's hanging on me because for him that's calming and soothing in a place that he's just completely overstimulated. And I had to do everything in my mommy power not to shove him off of me when it was 95 degrees. And he was like, just literally rubbing his whole body up against me because for him, that was a way for him to calm down. So that's just a great point that that I now plan those kind of things so different, Tricia, because I know I have these two different kids and I am not upset that he and his dad want to go back and have some downtime in the hotel. I know that that makes everything more enjoyable for them. And I certainly don't want to see what happens if I try to force the issue because it will erupt and it'll look like anger, but it's really sensory overload. Yeah. And I love how you mentioned, you know, if, if kids can hear things that maybe others don't and, you know, we'll be around the table and I'll have a couple of kids like, why is she chewing so loud? And of course I'm like, I can't even hear it. So we've, you know, arranged people where they don't sit next to each other and in car rides, like we have a strategic who can sit next to who, because some need as much space as possible without all the noise, you know, need their headphones on, you know, whatever with their music. I mean, you just have to, once you're aware of these, I think it was so helpful for me. Just, you know, I would, at first I thought this kid is just angry all the time and we need to work on the anger and we need to read more scripture verses, which I mean, scripture verses always help, but, but, you know, really there are things we can do to, you know, move them away from a sibling that maybe, you know, might chew loud or, um, you know, give them some space because those things really do make a difference. I love what you just said, because. I had a niece in my car who just has a, even more than my son. And when you put five children in a vehicle, because we had my nieces often when my sister-in-law was dying of cancer, I mean, she's already struggling emotionally. And then the noise is just too much for her. So actually, my husband, who travels a lot, has the sensory issues, carries with him noise-canceling headphones, not for shooting, not for some activity, but simply to just drown out the world and give himself a break from it. So we started using those with her because here's what's what I think was kind of sad, and I kind of even felt bad as a counselor and as an aunt about this. Problems that weren't character problems 
at first were becoming character problems because she was getting overloaded. She was melting down. Then she was ugly to the other kids in the car. And then I'm correcting her, right? Because she's being unpleasant in the vehicle. And that looks like a character problem. But the minute we got those headphones and she could tune out for a little while, it really wasn't a character issue. It was just to the point where even with the help of the, the fruit of the spirit, even with the knowledge she had, she just couldn't maintain any more self-control. And, and we have to be aware that, that that can happen to a lot of us. I see that happen in families with grief, where there's a lot of sadness, there's a lot of anger, and sometimes the fights are over such crazy, silly things. And I tell them, this is not about any of this. You know, they'll come into the office thinking somebody's got a horrible anger problem. And I'll tell them, you've got a grief problem. You've got a lot of emotions swimming around here. And, and you have kids who have experienced trauma. It's going to be the same thing there. When you've experienced trauma in your family or your family's just under a lot of stress, maybe somebody's lost a job and everybody knows finances are tight and everything else like that. I just always, we look at um, scaling a lot in our offices on a scale of one to 10. And a great fuse is a fuse, right? that has 10 spots. But when you add stress from the outside world, you can take a fuse that normally has 10 spots and shrink it down to about three spots. And then the eruption is going to happen so fast, you don't even know where it came from. Hmm. Yeah, there's so much going on with these kids. It is. And I I think sometimes we forget, you know, especially you mentioned that, you know, because I do have kids from trauma. We just think, okay, everything's better now. Like they're safe. Like we have a safe home. Um, you know, they have three healthy meals a day. I'm even homeschooling them. So they have more sleep, you know, where I don't try to overschedule them. So all should be well. Um, but I think sometimes we forget that those old memories do come up or the triggers. And I would love to hear your thoughts on triggers too. those things that trigger them, that maybe something that happened three years ago, five years ago, um, can, can trigger something that's happening now can trigger those emotions again. And it's as real as if it was happening. Um, back then. You know, I just worked with somebody on that last night. And it's so important that the first thing we work on when that happens is just to help that person calm down, to help them breathe, to help them even remind them, you are not five right now. You're 14 and you are safe because a lot of times they feel all the feelings and the emotions of that experience. And then we have to help them not look at it from their five-year-old brain, but their 14-year-old brain looking back at that experience. And through that process, we can do a lot of great um, cognitive behavioral trauma-informed therapy and begin to really help them restructure their memories. And also one thing I always work on with those kids is this idea of a puzzle. Like we have these puzzle and there's really a hundred and thousand pieces of a puzzle to your life. But when you get triggered like that, it's like we took this little puzzle piece and now it's sitting in front of your eyes and you can't see the rest of the puzzle. And we have to help kids walk that piece of the puzzle and adults back into a larger schema so that one puzzle piece does not define them. Because one moment or some experiences in your life, we don't want that to define us because that can make us feel a lot of shame and guilt, which we know is going to lead to anger. We want them to have freedom from that, from knowing who they are in Christ, for knowing that they they are not who a life experience that doesn't define them. And then even more than that, 
helping them walk through those difficult times with new glasses, more mature glasses as they age, and a new perspective. But here's the thing we can't completely undo right away, Tricia, and that is the neuroscience shows us that there are pathways in the brain that have been created from the trauma, and it's going to take some time to overwrite those pathways and to learn new coping mechanisms and new behaviors for the same experiences. Yeah, and I think that's one thing. Um, you know, even, even though they're able to acknowledge it and we're able to talk about it, but it does take a, a while to rewire those feelings. And, you know, and they'll even tell me, which I'm glad they're able to approach me now, mom, I know you love me, but I just don't feel it right now. Or I just keep thinking back to, you know, before you came and I mean, it's, it's okay. <laughs> like just telling them like, it's okay. I know that, um, they may be aware that they're safe now, but they, they do have those emotions that they have to work through. And it's um, just letting them know that they're always loved. They're always cared for. We're always here to talk to them. And then also, you know, we've had, um, they've gone through about two years of trauma therapy, but we always let them know if there's ever a time you need to go back and talk to your therapist. And, and they've taken me up on that, um, that that is available too. Like it's not, I'm not going to get upset if all of a sudden um, you feel like, you know, I like mom, but maybe I don't love her right now. Or, or, you know, we've even had one of our kids um, say, I almost feel guilty because I'm adopted. Um, You know, so all these emotions are in there and just letting them express it without us getting our feelings hurt. Yeah. And that's so hard. We have to be in a good place ourselves and hold on to ourselves. It's really hard when the whole family's in crisis. And luckily you are not in the midst of that. Although just everyday first world problems can seem like crises at times, but absolutely those kids are going to, and grateful that they can share, but Also, that's what I tell kids who've experienced a lot of trauma, because I used to work with kids who were in the CPS system and in the foster care system, is that we're not going to, you know, they'll graduate from me, but I'll tell them, you've learned these skills, but you may hit a bump that where you just get stuck and you can't apply those skills. I hit that recently with an adult client who, through a death in the family, it triggered something that she had experienced she'd never talked about that it happened very traumatic with the family member who had died. And so she really needed a safe place to process that and let those emotions go. And then be able, because she got stuck in the age of which she was when the trauma happened. And so she just couldn't bring her adult self and eyes completely there. Cause every time she tried on her own, she would just kind of almost emotionally regress back and start having what we call flashbacks where you see and hear the experience. Once again, as if you're, as if you're re- reliving it, we see research on that with the veterans and One methodology, which has a lot of research behind it, although we don't really know why it works so well on the neuropathways, is EMDR. And there have been times where I have suggested, I would love to get the training. It's about it. It's a long process. But I will refer out to an EMDR specialist in some places when a kid or an adult's really stuck to see if that can help them in some ways as well. Yeah. Why don't you explain that for people who may not be aware? I I mean, you and I, hopefully we haven't been using too many of these I know. terms. Like, oh yeah, okay, I understand this. We've been in therapy. I know. I mean, I, sometimes I can sound a little like I'm psychobabbling and I try to be real careful with that. It's an eye movement, rapid desensitization. And so it's really strange, but you're tapping and you're having the eyes move in a certain way. But in doing so, you are also reframing the event, which is very similar to what we do in cr- Christian counseling. When we take the same event and we ask God to come in the picture, For example, maybe this person wasn't a believer when they got hurt when they were 10, 
And so we take that same event and say, maybe they thought God wasn't there and he abandoned them. But then when we ask him, can you, if God is everywhere, can you put God in that picture? And what would God be saying to you in the midst of this? I'm sorry, this is happening. The world is broken. I love you. Someday it's going to be better. And even though this is really hard, there's going to be good that you can use out of this. I mean, I never want to make a a really severe, especially when it's abusive childhood experience, something that it's not. But even in the midst of that, sometimes they the lie was that God wasn't there, and He was. There's nothing too dark that's ever happened to a human being on this earth that God couldn't sit in with them. Yeah, and even sat with His own Son through that darkness. And so, a lot of times, that makes a huge difference in people's lives when they look at that. And EMDR is just another way to look at doing that by, again, trying to retrain neuropathways in the body. Yeah. And I think that's so important because I think, you know, we got that question a lot with our girls, like, why did God let us go through that? And, um, you know, we, we talked through it a lot. We would go to the scripture and I said, it's okay to ask questions. Like, look at the Psalms. David continually cried out to God, where were you? Why did this happen? And, and I said, you know, but eventually as you seek God, um, he will bring your peace and, um, you know, maybe not today, but, you know, he can show you that he was there and, you know, just talking through that over and over again, we'd have our, often our morning devotional time, we'd be talking about these hard issues. And, um, I remember, oh, probably a year ago, um, our oldest adopted daughter, she came and she says, you know, I've been thinking about that. And I really think that the hard stuff that I went through, God wants me to be able to help others. And um, so she changed her course. She was going to go to school for architecture. And now she's going for psychology. Um, <laughs> she's be a therapist. I'm like, okay, you got to meet my friend, Michelle. <laughs> but you know what I mean? But it was through that process of listening to them and, and asking them, you know, to go before God. And it's okay. Like, God's not going to be offended if you ask questions or um, if you say, you know, why did you let this happen? And, and you know, because in the Psalms, it does show that. But, you know, if we turn our kids to God and let them ask those questions, it, you know, he can speak to their hearts. And I just love how he's able to do that through my daughter. Absolutely. I always say that trauma and hard life events uh, impact our view of ourselves, our world, and our God. And good trauma therapists are going to look at how did your beliefs become impacted by those three things and then help them where there are lies because the enemy loves to steal, kill, and destroy and is called a liar. He will try to take those moments in our lives to lie to us, to put self-blame on us where there really is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. He will use those moments to make us think we're bad. That's a simplistic term a kid might feel, right? And angry kids feel that. You know what I hate the most when I work with angry kids is the ones who are impulsive and they really struggle with their impulsivity and they do bad things and they so struggle to not see themselves as bad kids. And mad not bad is just such an important phrase in our office because it's real easy if you're the parent living with that kid to start thinking it's all bad too. And it's it's very easy for a kid to personalize that, especially when they are they are wired in such a way that you can have two kids in the same family and one will struggle with that self-control and one of them won't at all. So you know it's not your parenting. Right. And that's something that a lot of parents are just so relieved to be let off the hook for. But it is that that kid just has some unique struggles due to their own birth and temperament. You can see it in a baby. And so I just think it's so relieving for somebody to realize I'm not bad. I just, this is my struggle. 
Yeah. And I also think it was so helpful. Um, you were talking about, you know, going back and letting them talk through those things. And then also sometimes it would take me saying, well, let's look at that differently <laughs> because I've heard it before that kids are good recorders, and but not always good interpreters. And so, like you mentioned, they may, they may feel guilty about something that happened to them. Like they were actually the victim, but they may be feel guilty because of it happened. And so now they have our older girls have a little niece that's two years old. She's almost three. And I'll say, look at her. Would you blame her if this thing happened to her? And they're like, no. And I'm like, you know, so when you were little, you blamed yourself or through the years you came to blame yourself, but it wasn't your fault. It was someone acting out against you. Like even if, even if uh, she did act up and, you know, she doesn't deserve you know, the, the type of treatment she got or the, that sort of thing. So just helping them to look at it differently um, because they remember what happens, but all that guilt and shame, they're just been carrying it around without realizing that, you know, no, I didn't deserve that. I was just a little kid. You know, I have to do that as a parent myself. Like I could very easily tell my kids that you made me angry because you left that stuff on the floor. No, <laughs> you left that stuff on the floor and that's your problem. But my response to the stuff on the floor is my responsibility. And I also could very calmly give you a consequence that would be far more painful than me screaming at you. And so it's just something that very often when kids are in the middle of that harmful experience, a lot of times the person hurting them will say, well, I did this because you did this. Well, actually, we all choose what we do. And it's really an important part of treating kids who've been through difficult things. And sometimes adults who've heard a message their whole lives of you made this happen to realize, no, we all own our own emotions. Two of us could have the same situation and one of us could be excited about it, like speaking on a stage, and one of us could dread it and one of us could be mad somebody's making us do it. And it's the same circumstance. Mm. That is so good. We've talked about so many good things. (laughs) We just covered all the bases. Okay. I would just love maybe us to summarize some of the things that we talked about um, to give some takeaway points for parents. I think the first one we talked about anxiety is just look around and and see maybe there there is some things that are causing anxiety, whether it's, you know, maybe they're hungry, maybe they're tired. Um, Maybe we're putting too much pressure on our kids. I remember I took our kids to gymnastics um, last summer. And while we were there, there's some other parents talking and they had seen each other just the hour before at swim lessons. So their kids were at swim lessons and then I, they were at gymnastics. And afterwards, both sets of parents were taking their kids to T-ball. This is summer. And they had three activities all before noon. And I think so many times we, we like you were mentioning, um, we try to do that. So, you know, maybe think about what is causing um, my anxiety in my kids. So what's another takeaway that we can give parents from things that we've talked about? Um, I think that realizing that a lot of what is the kids are showing emotionally not only could be from physical symptoms, but it can also be what they're thinking about something and being really good about listening to that and not condemning them for their thoughts. But like you said, how could you look at this in a different way? Helping them begin to see, could I take this as a challenge? Could I 
try to get a learning experience out of this, you know, especially a lot of times they, their anxiety will come from pressure from maybe a coach raising the level or a teacher raising the bar, especially like math problems. You know, when it, every time those kids go up a level in math, or I always tell parents in the spring, take it easy on them. If they're going to be in the middle of standardized testing, you got kids in public schools, realize that even though we all tell them, just do your best, they feel a pressure to perform that eats away at their bodies and their minds. And we see it because we talk to kids who have trouble sleeping that night. And and also, we didn't talk about this, but I think that's super important to summarize is if your kids are having trouble sleeping, they may have too much energy in their bodies. And even if they don't, nobody's brain works well on little sleep. Talk to any postpartum mom and she'll tell you that. Right, exactly. Oh, we could talk a whole another <laughs> another 30 minutes on that. <laughs> Just sleeping kids and uh, yeah, kids are staying up way too late, too much screen time. I mean, there's so many things um that's not letting them letting their brains rest. Absolutely. Well, Michelle, I am just so thankful that you've been here today. I know we've covered a lot of topics, um, but I know that it's going to help a lot of parents dealing with anxiety and anger and, and recognizing maybe for the first time the sensory issues that their kids might be having. So just thank you so much. Well, thanks so much for having me, Tricia. And thank you for your book on calming angry kids. It's a great tool for me to have in the counseling office. And I'm so grateful since I can't sit in a chair and get that written that you did it. Oh, well, thank you. I'm glad I'm glad it's useful to you. Um, but before we go to also, where can um, listeners find out more information about you? The easiest way is we I have a website, counselorthoughts.com. I'm also on iTunes and all the major podcasting channels that way as well. I love to hear from other people. I love to ask questions. Um, I'm on social media and everywhere I'm the same thing. I'm michelleneedert.com on social media. Uh, That's a little hard to spell, but I promise you, if you get it right, I'll be one of the only ones that pop up. It's N-I-E-T-E-R-T. And I'm on Instagram, Pinterest. If you go to my Pinterest, you'll see boards on preschool anger and things like that. People who subscribe to my email list will get copies of my latest um, presentations. If I'm going into a school and talking about anxiety or depression or anger, like I just did with a group of preschool teachers, a presentation I did, we're working right now on a subscriber library, content library world. They will have access to that information. Oh, I love it. And I know in the show notes, we're also going to include links to everything that you said. Uh, my my trusty assistant, Kristen, will make sure all those <laughs> links are in there. I love um, trusted so assistants. I don't know where yeah. we would be without them. <laughs> so it's just walkitoutpodcast.com and you'll see uh, Michelle's episode there. And then you can click in all everything that she talked about. Um, you'll find on there, which that Pinterest board. I'm like making a note to myself to go look <laughs> at your Pinterest board. <laughs> but thank you again so much. Thanks, Trisha. Now do you know why I feel so thankful to have Michelle in my life? It's someone who truly understands and who has done so much to support other people, especially support me. And again, you could go to the show notes, which is just walkitoutpodcast.com. And there's going to be information about Michelle, about all her resources. You can connect with her, follow her. She has so many resources on her website. I know it's going to be a huge help for for you. Also, on the Walk It Out um, show notes, there's information about the free podcast email series that I'm going to be doing. 
um, that I've done already that you can get in your inbox. And the, the audios are just about five minutes. So when you're just folding a load of laundry, you just listen to it real quick and um, get some encouragement for dealing with your own angry kids. Also in the show notes, there is a link to the first chapter of Calming Angry Kids. So um, if you're wondering what this book is about and if it applies to you or if it's even going to be interesting to read, um, go ahead and download that first chapter and read that. So today's Walk It Out verse is Ecclesiastes 4.12. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves and a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And that's again, Ecclesiastes 4.12. And when I was considering a verse for today's episode, it just made me appreciate again, um, each of the therapists that stepped forward to help me. And when I felt so alone, just having them by my side, um, really helped me to defend myself, helped me not defend myself against my kids, but kids, but against all the feelings of, I can't do this it's too hard. I'm never going to succeed. Things aren't going to change. So those people in my life really gave me tools to know how to get help, um, what resources to use, things I could try with my kids. And so instead of being overpowered by these feelings of helplessness that I can't help my kids, um, each therapist stepped by my side and helped me to be able to defend myself against those thoughts of being overwhelmed. And also a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So when I have someone like Michelle, who um, is just Christ minded and knowledgeable, when I step beside that person and we work together, and then we also know that Christ is there, um, that is something that can't be broken. But also think about that with you and your kids. Um, You may feel like so discouraged. And And so many times, we almost feel like it's us against our kids instead of us fighting for our kids. And so just think of it also this verse as when you're standing along your kids, Christ is there as the third strand that will not break. Um, So that's just my encouragement for you today. So here's a prayer for you. Dear Lord, I know it is so overwhelming when we talk about anger and we deal with these issues, and we don't know where to turn. I thank you for those like Michelle who give us the information and the help and the support um, they need. I know my life has completely been completely changed because of wonderful people like her. I pray against discouragement. I pray um, for those who maybe feel like there's so much anger and hostility with their kids that they almost feel like they're fighting against their kids continually. Instead, I pray that you will just turn their hearts today, that they will be willing to fight for their kids, and that they will see God there as the third strand that will keep them strong. I pray that um, all the heartache and all the pain and all the anger against angry kids, that that will just melt away and we will have compassion for them, realizing that kids don't want to be angry. Lord, I just thank you for each listener today. I pray a blessing upon their life. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you, friends, for tuning in to another episode of Walk It Out. I pray you'll be encouraged. This is the second in the series on calming angry kids. Um, Last week, we had Janine Halloran talking about coping skills for kids and calming cards. If you didn't get a chance to listen to that, go back and listen to it. We're going to have two more episodes that deal um, with the calming angry kids 
in this series. Um, and then also I just encourage you to check out the book, Calming Angry Kids. It's available in local bookstores. It's available online. Again, you can find the first chapter on the show notes. And I just know that it'll be encouraged. If you know someone who's struggling, consider pick it, picking up a copy or even for your child's teacher, for the school principal, uh, for the school nurse, all of those have to deal with angry kids on a daily basis. And I just know that book will be an encouragement for them. Um, if you have a chance, go and leave a review on iTunes. That's always helpful for me. Share this episode with a friend. If you know someone who has maybe fostered or adopted and they don't know what to do about their child's anger, um, send them a link to the show. You can just go to walkitoutpodcast.com. You could send them that link and they can find more information and they can listen. They're online or in any um, podcast app. Also, friends, be sure to show some love and encouragement to the sponsor of the show, which is just my publisher, David C. Cook. David C. Cook published two of my books. They published Walk It Out, The Radical Results of Living God's Word One Step at a Time, which this podcast is named after, and also this new release, which is just Calming Angry Kids, Help and Hope for Parents in the Trenches. So thank you so much, friends, for tuning in. I pray that you'll have a great week and may you be encouraged. Today's podcast was edited and produced by Author Media. Opening and closing music is from the song Wide Open Space by Life Worship, used with permission from Integrity Music.